coming to you from a telemetry station on Tarek Noor. This is Politrex. The Time Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, the World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ. Welcome, everybody, to episode four of Spolitrex, which is actually also episode two of our three-part spy series, Spies in Our Society. My name is Barry DeFord, and I am here with the always wonderful, often imitated, never replicated, Mr. Shashank Avaru. How are you doing today, Shashank? Namaste, homo sapiens. I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling all right. It's uh, it's a good time to be a, a Trek fan. We're getting closer to January the 7th, and I'm happy about that because Dis- Discovery is coming back. And I've been filling my time watching a lot of Star Trek Deep Space Nine because, I don't know, something about the Christmas season and watching DS9 is a thing. I'm also stealing myself up to start watching my favorite Star Trek fan film, Star Trek Continues. And I'm always always listening to different bits of uh, of good podcasts uh, podcasting that's taking place out there we've uh, we've got a lot to choose from these days so it's been a it's been a good time for me my current state is a is an artificially induced freshness in my body due to a pot of coffee and since uh, it's about 10 30 p.m while we're recording this and since i have no plans on sleeping early tonight during black friday i got a blu-ray of star trek 2 the wrath of khan's director's cut and it has four commentaries and then it has a text commentary, which I've never seen before, which sounds interesting. And then it has a farewell video to Ricardo Maltaban, which I'm... So my plan for the night essentially is watching and re-watching and re-watching Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, until I can quote every Khan dialogue. And I can say Khan, like Captain Kirk does, until I do that, I'm going to keep re-watching this movie. So if you hit me up at some point tomorrow morning and I sound like I haven't slept in 12 hours, it is because I haven't. That is not a wasted evening watching Star Trek The Wrath of Khan by any stretch of the imagination and by any amount of times that you end up watching it. So that is a fantastic idea. I think Tonight, after I'm done, we're done recording tonight, I'm probably going to go straight to bed, but I always wake up early, and I'm actually currently just getting closer and closer to one of my favorite DS9 episodes in the pale moonlight, so I might even make it to that tomorrow. So that will be a very enjoyable thing. I see. I'm much more of a the visitor guy myself, but I can appreciate that that favoritism i can i can appreciate that perspective the visitor is easily part two or number two for me for that like yeah it's a it's a toss-up both are are stellar episodes so if you if you want to tell us what your favorite is we would be more than happy to find out you can follow us on at polytrex on twitter you can find us on facebook at polytrex you can also find us on the tricorder transmissions as always a shout out to our friendly, wonderful, incredible, adorable monitors of the tricorder transmissions, Jeff and Heather. And there is also a special shout out that we have in queue for you today. Uh, Is that right, Barry? It is, yes. And you can always find out uh, uh, more if you do visit the 
Tricorder Transmissions website. You can find out all of the wonderful other shows that are taking place right now, including and not limited to Shore Leave, Tricorder Transmissions, Trek Ranks, Drawing Trek, Tavacron, so many wonderful different shows that you can pop into and have a listen. I have to say just a quick shout out to Mr. Jim Morehouse on his last episode in the turbo lift. I was like, really? He's going to do that? And I was very pleasantly surprised, sir. Well done. If I had a hat on, I would doff it, but I'm just wearing headphones, so I can't really take those off because it has my monitor. So if you want to say maybe what your favorite Deep Space Nine episode is, or you want to talk to us about really anything concerning Trek or Polytrex or what your favorite in the the uh, Turbo Lift episode was, you can always call into the show and leave a voicemail message at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. Of course, Polytrex on the Tricorder Transmissions podcast, it can, uh, it can be found like uh, Shashank said, on many different social media platforms and, of course, on the website itself. If you're also looking at perhaps doing a little bit more than just commenting, you can do what a fantastic fellow by the name of Trekkie Rob has done. He has become the first Politrex Patreon supporter through the Tricorder Transmissions. And, of course, Mr. Trekkie Rob has already gifted us with his time, but now he's also done a little bit with his hard-earned cash. And, sir, we will spend every single episode from now on making it up to you and making sure that you enjoy the content that we put out here. So we can't say enough about our Patreon supporters of every show on the Tricorder Transmissions, but it does make Shashank and me both feel very, very happy to know that we do have someone who has actually said Politrex is the reason or one of the reasons why I'm supporting. So thank you so very much, sir. And we look forward to talking to any other people or shouting out to any other people who are doing that as well. And I will say this as well. If we get, uh, let's say 30 more, uh, Patreon supporters, of course, Shashank has been working on his proper con call. I will say that Shashank will come in a perfectly suited Ricardo Maltabon con outfit for Star Trek Las Vegas. And you can you can take that right to the bank. Right, Shashank? I have no I had no idea I was gonna do that, but I am more than happy to. If people would like to see a brown guy dressed as Captain Kirk, who's older and a little set in his ways, but strangely looks from a different ethnicity. I am more than up for it. I will up the ante for this challenge race and I will learn Amazing Grace on backpipes and I'll play it for you while we all pretend that it's Spock's fake funeral scene. You know, I was actually saying you could dress up as Khan, but what you've just created for me as Kirk on bagpipes or on um, playing bagpipes, never mind. That's what we're going to say for. So, of course, uh, that's how you can always uh, get us into it. And what we are getting into next will be the news. Welcome back, guys. As as part of this podcast, we spend a little bit of time before we get into the main topic by discussing current events, things that have moved us, interested us, angered us, frustrated us, and annoyingly in 2017, a lot of it has, has been anger and frustration, but we try to get some hopeful stuff in there. Unfortunately, 
with our our first topic for discussion of current events and news today is uh, a little stale but nonetheless relevant and current is the fact that north korea's latest missile launch test has been successful and their state run broadcast news reports that uh, with their newly launched successful missile tests they are now capable of reaching anywhere in the inland united states how do you feel about that barry well what freaks me out the most and this is definitely something that most canadians would say is freaky for them even throughout the Cold War, is unlike some old Korean diagrams, the North Korean diagrams of the missiles flying directly over the Pacific Ocean, that's not the quickest way to hit the United States. The quickest way is actually for the missiles to move north and then go south, following the curvature of the Earth. And that actually puts where I am currently living in northwestern Alberta directly in range of those missiles, if, say, they were to not make it all the way across. It also makes our friends in Alaska very close to being on the menu for for nuclear explosion as well. And then, of course, anyone on the West Coast or perhaps even in other parts of the United States. So, no, this is not good news uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I am not happy with the proliferation of nuclear armaments in any other country and i'm definitely a proponent for the non-proliferation of it but to be put into the hands of such a volatile cynical senile regime is is very much something that i uh, that i abhor and i'm hopeful is more bluff than reality it brings to mind because it is our responsibility to connect this to star trek it brings to mind to me immediately how Starfleet would have felt in its initial stages when they find out that their biggest rival, the Romulans, have developed cloaking technology. That essentially now they could attack our crew, our ships, our people, and our allies anywhere, anytime. And until we one-up them, until we find a way around it, we are essentially done for. An enemy who could get us at any time from anywhere is the is the most dangerous kind of kind of enemy. And and the unpredictability of this tiny little country that has always been at odds with Western democracy and democracy in general, the fact that they now have not only nuclear capabilities, but the ability to hit their biggest, possibly their biggest and most politically antithetical rival is alarming, to say the least. Yeah, and I, I would be interested to see how China responds to this. And and over the next little while, I wonder if they might move to curb things to a degree. I'm sort of reminded to a degree as well, to continue using the same figure of speech, when the Dominion managed to make it through the wormhole, right? And if, if Korea is telling the truth, then the DPRK could actually attack the United States. It's sort of that idea of when O'Brien and, and all the rest are looking through the window of Deep Space Nine and watching those Jem'Hadar fighters flying through the wormhole just at, at con- constant intervals. It is that idea of, okay, so this could happen now. This could happen at any moment. This could happen possibly without warning, but we know it can happen. And I guess to a degree, maybe some people in North Korea for a long time have felt that, well, the United States could attack us at any moment. So why is it a problem if we can now attack them? I guess I would, I would 
err on the sides of, of, of the United States for being more rational in this sense and not doing something so brash and impulsive as to completely change the map, right? Because if, if one nuke flies at this point, several more are going to fly. And who's going who's gonna to pay the price? It's going to be the innocent, as per usual. That's a that's a great analogy, and I didn't think about how the 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 folks at DPRK might perceive this, and how this could be something that could essentially be looked at in the exact same way from from their perspective. But like in both examples that we mentioned with Starfleet and Romulans, and Starfleet and and our allies with the Dominion, while we can agree that United States, just like Starfleet, is not perfect. There are there are there is wrongdoing, there is there are mistakes, there are objective actions that were committed that that seem destructive and and just not morally not not morally built up. There is also the objective agreement that we can have as as a people that North Korean government is in the wrong, irrespective of what you think of the country. The government starves its people. It takes their freedoms away from them. It takes it takes rights that we should be enjoying as human beings away from them. And not only does it does it do that, it essentially pushes every living being in that country to bow down to a leader, irrespective of whether they agree with that person or not, and put them in hell while pushing them, co- compelling them with the threat of execution and death to tell them that this is the best place to live this leader is the best person to 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 live under so there is there is def clearly an an objectively unequivocally wrong side to this to this conf- to this confrontation to this conflict and then there is the imperfect slightly flawed but mostly good starfleet and i am hoping just to take away from this on a positive note like starfleet one over the romulans even though there was cloaking technology, like Starfleet and our allies won over the Dominion, I'm hoping the good, the mostly good will prevail over clearly evil. There are definite bad guys here. And I think that's one one definite thing. Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, and Kim Il-sung are all very much reprehensible human beings who have turned their country into a personality cult to themselves and have sent their entire population into abject slavery. And that has not happened in the United States. That has not happened in a Western country at this point. And theirs are different. We'll be here telling you about these things. We'll be here still trying to make sense of everything. And we'll be here hoping and giving you firm, static-based facts about how things turned out for those who those who stuck to the wrong side, those who stuck to causing harm to people. Unfortunately, we still have to continue with the bad news, but this time, instead of international bad news, it's national bad news, I guess, for me, and for you, it's bad news from what was once a great neighbor. It's that as we speak, there was a Trump rally today in Pensacola, Florida, an hour ago, and for anyone who had any doubts about whether Trump was going to endorse or publicly support or put his his energy behind a pedophile essentially that's that's the term i'm going to stick to a pedophile by the name of Roy Moore who's running for representation of a, of a state the giant cog of 
the government of the United States. If anyone had any doubts, you can, if you haven't found out already, in this rally, the, one of the stump speech points Trump made was get out and vote for Roy Moore. So just to put that in perspective, that's the president of the United States. Ironically, also a person uh, who has been reported on or is alleged to be involved or be the perpetrator of sexual assault endorsing a pedophile. You know, it's it's one thing to um, to be a little bit behind the times, but this is getting silly. I have some friends who are or were card-carrying Republicans who are very upset right now that their party is being co-opted. And I feel very much like this is like if Harry Mudd was being endorsed for, you know, control over the Aldebaran system or something like that. I just, and not, and not the funny, cool kind of quirky Harry Mudd from Discovery. I'm talking about the womanizer from TOS. I, I just, I can't, I can't abide by what's happening right now. The, the, the flagrant denial of the truth and, and what is right and what is good. I'm an educator. I, I can't, I can't, get into even the headspace of of what this this individual in, in Alabama is is even thinking. Roy Moore is is a reprehensible human being for his actions and I don't care if they took place whenever. He, if if those were in his head then then they're in his head now. People don't change that much and it's clear that he felt like he got away with it for the last few decades. So he clearly did not feel any remorse or else he would have come clean. And I would say that the only option for a person like this would be to step down. And the fact that he isn't, the fact that he's doubling down on his denial and all of those things just shows the kind of person he is. And whatever my my opinions are on the president currently in the country, I'd have to just say that this is not what America was built on. This is not what America is about. At least I would hope not. And I'm very upset about that. And I'm not trying to come from some high-handed, holier-than-thou position. I'm really just coming down from what Shashank has mentioned, that this is, this, Roy Moore is a pedophile. Please don't vote for him. Please just, just, <laughs> I hate to get totally, totally political, um, but I don't know what else to say. You know, the Democratic Party has just sent Al Franken out because of what he did, and they are right to do that. He has no place in the party if he is a person who has been up to similar things uh, in terms of of treating women with disrespect in such a terrible way, or anyone with disrespect in such a terrible way, so it's upsetting that you and I have to keep coming back to this, isn't it, Shashank? We've we've talked now each episode about someone in the news doing something terrible to someone else in these sorts of ways, but you know what? It's news, and we need to talk about it. It seems very much like taking what was once a respective ideology, something that people put their hearts into, people still put their hearts into, taking taking a group of ideas, taking a, a school of thought and abusing it, raping it, tearing it apart and using it for your own personal gain. It's interesting that a guy alleged of sexual assault and a pedophile have gotten together and they're trying to garner more power. It, it brings to mind the arc that Kai Wynn and Jaro Essa went through, where there are two people who are clearly committing terrible atrocities in, in, the, in the shadows while preaching and trying to double quote, air quote, bring together people under the parades and bringing, trying to bring together the Bajoran people and trying to sell them snake oil. It's, 
it's terrifying it's it, it it is almost hard to digest that we went from great republicans like abraham lincoln and now we're at a point where we have to talk about look at this party that's openly supporting a pedophile it's it has it has take it is still taking time for me to digest it but whoever is listening to this i hope you know if you are not accepting this if you are if you see this as being wrong that this is happening and you can't bring yourself to agree with it on any level human political social level congratulations you have a soul you have a heart you are alive and the planet is a better place for having you and i would say that this is this is possibly what we may be seeing as the final death throes of of this party as as it is in in its current form even within the party itself you've got michael flynn testifying you've got you know there's been so many sound bites of different groups uh, and different individuals uh, in the inner circle even uh, that that exist right now and and they're they're saying terrible things about each other they're contradicting one another they're they're not getting along so with that, that kind of sort of reminds me, and, and, and I know I kind of used a Dominion analogy earlier, but to go back to that, this this sort of idea of Michael Flynn not necessarily getting along with with other individuals within within Trump's inner circle, and Trump not getting along with some other people, and other people naming calling him some pretty terrible names, and then people within the Republican Party itself who aren't necessarily within Trump's inner circle trying to pass through different bills that are are largely self-serving. It, it it just sounds like everyone's kind of smashing grabbing what they can and I can't help but go back to thinking of the 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 triad between the founders, the Cardassians and the Vorta and how they're they're really not they're they're all just sort of frenemies trying to hold together this loose alliance and the connections really are quite close and so clearly everyone you can tell I've been watching a lot of DS9 lately and so that's where all of my connections are coming from but I don't necessarily think that I'm too far off the point what would you say Shashank? Buddy I love you and as a co-host I have to tell you there is nothing wrong with the Dominion analogy. Dominions are space Nazis. Dominion the, the idea is terrible and they're horrible disgusting vile aliens and as long as you use them in an analogy where they're the bad guys where they're the ones losing i am all on board for it i will listen to every analogy no matter how far-fetched it seems to everyone else actually i kind of almost feel bad for for the the lower ranking people within the republican party who are doing their job right now and they have to they have to live under the order of things and and that that saddens me to a degree as well that that really all they are is is just you know working for something that they may not necessarily be happy about. So you know here's here's to uh, maybe a little tiny American revolution within that American party to something different. We'll move on to what I think is great news and what Barry thinks might not be the greatest news. Oh, it's not not necessarily the worst news. Let's put it that way. If you have been living under a deep cave on Cardassia because you were trying to infiltrate Cardassians but your spying just wasn't good enough and you're trapped. You might have heard that Quentin Tarantino is developing a Star Trek movie. I think that is an incredible idea. And if you are, if you have been monitoring or if you've been following our social media, if you've been looking at what's, de- what's brewing underneath our podcast, you'll see a tiny little stray away episode that we did just on this topic. But just to just to summarize it, maybe just to tease 
our listeners, what what did you think, Barry? What do you think of this idea? Well, I'm going to use the quick food analogy of there are certain foods I like and there's certain for foods that I also like, and maybe those foods aren't quite the same. Say if you mix an entree and a dessert, both can be delicious, but sometimes you don't want to put those two things together. So if you do listen to our We Interrupt This Podcast episode supplemental, you can get a better idea of, of my take on things. I am just going to counter that food analogy by saying I'm sure nobody ever thought that putting two pieces of bland tasteless bread in between a spicy patty made of vegetables will ever be delicious. But sandwiches are the most popular form of food today. So I am fully on board for Quentin Tarantino doing this. Barry, not so much. For for more on what we talked about this, please listen to our uh, Stay Away episode called We Interrupt This Podcast. And I think that can take us right into our main topic for the night. Welcome back to our continuing series, Spies in our Star Society. Today's main section of our episode deals with Section 31, the organization, the myth, the legend, the nightmare, the allegory. We will be looking at Section 31 today through two big lens in the show. There are two standout episodes, Extreme Measures and Interarma. Interarma gives us a little more insight into the relationship between Bashir and Section 31, and Extreme Measures flips it on its side. It, it takes us into a situation in which Bashir actually has some semblance of control, and it deals specifically with the the conduit we have from Section 31 of uh, Sloan, and, and we see, we, we get a remarkable in, insight into his mind, and in today's episode, we'll talk um, amongst other things about these episodes section 31 in general some of its real world counterparts how extreme it really is and at the end of the show we will spend some time discussing whether in spite of everything that it had and everything it represented did the united federation of planets actually need a spy agency like section 31 so first off what what do you think of the episodes barry uh, these are easily two of my must-watches for Deep Space Nine. Both of these episodes deal very much in that that kind of shades of gray kind of area that starts to really show itself very truly and very impressively through the Deep Space Nine Dominion arc. And they also prove a little bit of a nice break as well. Though, of course, Extreme Measures directly deals with finding the cure for Odo and the Founder's wasting condition, it also does kind of take us out of just, you know, the kind of the day-to-day. It's uh, it's sort of like the the serious version of bada-bing, bada-bang, which is also another favorite kind of break from the Dominion arc as well, a little tiny episodic slice. I appreciate what you said as well, Shashank, about Bashir in the first one not being in control, and in the second one he's almost super villainy in places where he's like got Sloane laid down on the uh, on the bed, and you know I you know do he's that kind of like are, do I, I 
do you expect me to talk? And he's sort of like, no, I expect you to be brain probed. But maybe for those of us who aren't necessarily as knowledgeable about the episodes, perhaps we could do a spoilers alert little uh, go watch the episode. But if you don't, Shashank has some catch up for you all. And that is not the condiment, but uh, a very brief synopsis. What do you say, Mr. Avaru? Absolutely. I, I like uh, ketchup. Ketchup is not as good as ketchup, but I will take ketchup. It's it's better than mustard. For your first episodes, I wouldn't I wouldn't give you the entire synopsis because I still want to want you to enjoy the episode. But in Interadma, Bashir is scheduled to go to a medical conference where he's presenting on a very interesting informative topic that is helpful to everyone around the galaxy. But as he travels, as he, he he embarks on his journey, he finds out that things might not be as they seem at this conference. And everything comes to a head when he runs into Sloan, who tells him whether you like it or not, the fate of the quadrant is in your hands. And there is something we need you to do at this conference that is not only legal, it might go against your morals. But as we discussed, the first time we met Bashir, this is something you have to do. There is no way out of this. So that's essentially the the crux of Section 31 and what happens after that. And with uh, extreme measures, which I maintain, I, I might be the only person shouting into an empty void with this one, but I maintain that Christopher Nolan saw extreme measures and he rewatched it and rewatched it until he realized, oh, wait, there is a movie in here. And that's how we came up with Inception. I believe not just because the plot is very similar to Inception's, but also because there are some cinematic techniques used and there are some plot progressions that happen that are similar between Extreme Measures and Inception. Anyway, the, the synopsis or the teaser for Extreme Measures is Bashir and O'Brien have to deal with a life or death situation for one of the members of the crew. And as Barry alluded to, it ends up being Odo. And to save Odo's life, to to bring him back to safety, they find out that the secret to saving his life is in the mind of Section 31 Sloan. So they quite literally go into Sloan's mind. Uh, yes, you've heard that, right? They go into Sloan's mind and they find out deep, dark, hidden secrets about Sloan inside his mind. And they have to, there is there is a point where they realize, oh, wait, we are in, but we are really not where we want to be. So they keep going deeper and deeper until they find out more revelations and interesting things to say the least about Starfleet and Sloan the man that put everything we know in a new perspective, all the while while dealing with the, the ticking clock, because while their sub, while their consciousnesses are embedded into Sloan's mind, they only have so much time until they can get out uh, safely. So it's a it's a very interesting ticking clock mystery embedded with the information that we have on Section Thirty One and the character of Sloan being grown and explored more. Just in general, I I think these are some of the most cleverly written episodes in Star Trek period. And in Extreme Measures, there are points where, as Barry alluded to, you will not just find Bashir being super villainy. You start feeling a little sorry for Sloan. 
when when he starts telling Bashir things, you start feeling, wait, this this guy was terrible and cookie cutter evil all along. What what is he doing? Why am I feeling differently? Why why do I want him to come out of this? Okay, so it's a it's a very very it's just a very interesting two episode art. But through this this these two episodes, we find out a lot about Section Thirty One, right, Barry? Absolutely. And I think that's the the point is, is their their coercive activities and the way they, they really try to push Bashir into a career with them. It isn't it isn't a, you know, hey, we think you have we, you have what it takes to be in our our, our organization. Right. It uh, it has everything more to do with the fact that you will do this for us. And so I think that's interesting how people get brought into the world of spidom, I guess we could say, and that maybe connects back to our previous episode, both Deanna and Dr. Bashir were both going to a medical or some kind of conference when they got their their first uh, their first major connection or their first sort of coercive connection with a underground or or covert clandestine group. So I think that's a fascinating connection to make that uh, maybe there's something hidden within our subconsciouses. Usually they'll try to get you when you're outside of your comfort zone, but not necessarily too far away from uh, from the ordinary. So it's trying to catch you when you're off guard. So that's something that I think is fascinating about them. The other piece that I find fascinating, especially about the, the organization of Section 31 themselves, is they start saying like, well, where, you know, where are the documents stored? You know, like as if there's some kind of memory alpha out there in the quadrant that they could perhaps break into and access. And Sloan is adamant that the documents, quote unquote, are actually in his brain. And only a few people within section 31 are the ones who actually have this information. And when they die, it dies with them. It's a entire organization built on an oral history and an oral cataloging and that blows my mind and that makes me wonder how much out there is lost when people die or when documents get destroyed and and all that sort of stuff it's also the the most interesting thing to me that might be why we are doing this episode around section 31 is when you when you look at that episode every now and then sloan will make an allusion to the legality for the existence of section 31 and as soon as i listened to it i wondered wait how can an organization like that exist just because it was it somebody came up with it a few hundred years ago and it might have been needed for a certain time why is it still around why is it active especially now and then my mind immediately went to the Gestapo, the the quote-unquote police service that existed in Nazi Germany. They are they are on the surface a policing organization. They are they were everyday they included everyone from everyday cops in Germany to people crushing resistances, people in charge of murdering those who were standing against Hitler. Essentially, they were they were Section Thirty One. If Section 31 had been, in our world, an evil Starfleet while also having a secret Section 31 that was in charge of going around murdering anyone that might disagree with this evil established order, they would be like Borg Secret Service if the folks of that, if the bodies and the entities that came out of the Borg actually were violent and human and they had propaganda to, to spread. It, it's interesting to connect them to the Gestapo, because in in some cases, you know, you're looking at the secret police, the underbelly of the Nazi Party, and on the top of the Nazi Party, 
at the helm, you have monsters as well. And it's an interesting contrast by that, because the Federation pride themselves on being basically the antithesis of the Federation. But to make the connection between Section 31 and the Gestapo, I don't think is that far off. First of all, if you look at the way they dress, they have those leather outfits, right? And that obviously is a hearkening to sort of that totalitarian mentality that would have existed within most of the Secret Service agencies that we're going to deal with, but especially embodied in the Gestapo. Uh, Absolutely. And it's certainly important to know that there is also a bigger connection that is not just with the that not just ends with the police actions of section 31 or starfleet but the the deeper more secret agency actions that involve in that are involved with section 31 especially when sloan alludes to things like oh bashir you don't know we are everywhere and that is that certainly comes to fruition when you actually see him in a medical conference pretending to be a regular human being and Bashir, you can see that Bashir is disappointed. You can see that he's angered, but there isn't real surprise in his face because in a, in a certain way, he, along with those of us that are watching and understand organizations like these expected. The interesting thing about the Gestapo is that around 1933, their formation actually involved combining a lot of the police agencies around the nation. Hitler's big idea was, I'm going to combine all these organizations that are in charge of different things and put them together. And on the surface, they would be the police. They would be someone you'd see every day protecting you and therefore you'd be connected to them. But some of their secret missions, some of their surveillance and some of their uh, some of their actions mainly involved curbing resistance. They, they're uh, very well documented as having executed scores of people. Uh, people who were nothing but in disagreement, uh, people who were not loyal or people who had been found to be disloyal to the regime. So in a lot of ways, Section 31 is not that far away from being a space Gestapo. If anything, the the reason why they might not have gotten there, and I'm sure there were people who tried, is because there are people like Cisco, people like Bashir, who stood up and are willing to call them out and stop them where where they progress before they get too far. And that's the difference between, I think, the free society that is the Federation and the not-free society that was Nazi Germany. So for a, a space Gestapo to exist, they have to not only be this underground, ruthless organization, unlike the Gestapo, who was, I guess you could say, philosophically supported by the Nazi party and by Adolf Hitler— In this case, they operate clandestinely from the Federation. And I think there you have sort of where Sloan's biggest turmoil is, especially in extreme measures. You see Sloan as a decent human being in his mind at one point. And he brings up a quote that I think is really, really important. And if we can, if you can bear with me for a minute, I'm going to take you all down a little story arc as well to show that these members of these organizations, these secret organizations, were human, but maybe not so much later, but there's always that latency that remains. So Sloan, his nice version, when he's uh, introducing his family to uh, Bashir and O'Brien, he says, ideology is a poor substitute for kindness and decency. And at the end of the day, it's our actions, not our beliefs that define who we are. 
And I think that really does kind of show not only what kind of person Sloan maybe once was, but who he had to give up. Because later you see his actions much different, and you, you see his actions in previous episodes much differently as well. There was a story in that starts in the First World War about a fellow by the name of Johannes Matthias Koltz. He was a soldier for the German army, but he was also a, an accomplished painter. And when... The war ended, of course. Germany descended into a pretty dark place. The Weimar Republic was never fully successful. And due to inflation and just destabilization within the economy, we see the roots for fascism and populism to, to grow. And that's where Hitler gets his, his break. Hitler ended up being quite fascinated with the artwork of Johannes Matthias Koltz. Hitler was also a veteran of the First World War and like Johannes Matthias Koltz, had to deal with sort of the horrors of war. Actually, one of my favorite stories about Koltz was that he was actually in a trench collapse, and he had to dig uh, other guys out with his helmet to try to save them. So so he had seen some horrors. He had seen some terrible things. And of course, a war of ideology was on its way in Germany. Anyways, Johannes Matthias Koltz was offered uh, the opportunity to paint the Führer, right? He was he he had a chance to paint Hitler and he refused and he realized he was in trouble. So he ended up cutting up all his old paintings and mailing them to friends around the world and he tried to get out of Germany. But he ended up getting caught by the Gestapo. He gets taken into a basement where the Gestapo are there. Now this is early Nazi Germany, so I think here we see some of the early Sloans uh, in their in their beginning roles. And the Gestapo commandant sits him down, looks at him takes his file, his arrest file, puts it in his filing cabinet, shuts it, locks it, stands up, gives the old German salute, right, just the hand to the eyebrow, and says, you saved me in a trench collapse during the during the Great War. I'm giving you a very small window to get out of Germany. And he does. He gets away. And so, again, there you have ideology. You know, this Gestapo officer clearly is a card-carrying Nazi, and who knows what he got up to later. But there was that little piece of kindness and decency that he still had remaining in him. And I think of Sloan when I think of that story, that Sloan at an earlier time was actually probably a very nice man, and he seemed very erudite and, and very kind and loving, and he had to give it all up to be a part of this organization. And that's, I think, the biggest part where Section 31 and the Gestapo have their connection. That's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that, Barry. It's it's certainly a good insight into the men in organizations like these. But it's also important to acknowledge just on a, on a personal level, when you look at the Gestapo and you look at Section 31, the one big parallel that you see is that for organizations like these to exist, it's important that they have unlimited power. The officer that let this artist through had the ability to give him that window. And this was very much evident back in the days of the Gestapo. Around uh, when we got closer to the Second World War, the Gestapo had established offices around concentration camps. Gestapo had established offices all across Europe where their establishment was illegal. Essentially, they were placing the seeds of what would one day become a giant spy network that would aid them in the war. So when people, you have to remember that even though all of this is being done very tactfully and with a lot of intelligence and supervision, at one point, the German government laid out a declaration saying, as long as the Gestapo carry out the will of the Nazi regime, 
they will not be monitored. This essentially meant that when you got to a position of power in these organizations, you were free to do whatever you wanted, which also leads us to relate to to the perspectives of Bashir, because he's seeing all along that in the episode of Interarma, the very officer that is supposed to control this entire situation alludes to the fact that he's in cahoots with everything that Section 31 has been doing all along. So there is a bombshell revelation where you find out not only is it Sloan that was involved in Section 31, there are members of Starfleet that are either encouraging this or silently allowing these things to happen. Connections like that show us that while these characters have a human side and while you do feel sorry for Sloan, there is no denying that for organizations like these to function successfully, especially in the case of Star Trek, across galaxies, across timelines, they needed, they, they their entire existence hinged on unlimited power. So they, uh, an organization like Section 31 is very similar to Gestapo, essentially in the sense that even Starfleet, if we ever got an insight into how Section 31 was built, if there was a camera put in that room, I'm sure we would have seen a declaration being made to the effect of if Starfleet's good intentions are in the best interest of actions, Section 31 can essentially do what they want. What do you think, Barry? I would fully agree with that. And I think if you looked at sort of the the organism of Starfleet, you would see little infected sections, right? And that's kind of how Section 31 operates almost like a parasite, right? I would say to a degree, even even a country such as the United States has succumbed to that. And, and you've talked about giving all of the power over, right? And, and, and having that ultimate power is where you can get the justification for doing such terrible things. And I think about the, the episode Extreme Measures in this case, going into someone else's mind and trying to control their, their thoughts and try to get information out of them. It reminds me of what the CIA did uh, in the 1950s. Uh, this agency had a program called MK Ultra. That's about 64 years old now. And it had a lot to do with drug testing on humans to try to see if they could build up a psychic ability. And they did it. The crazy part is that they were justifying the suspension of human rights, testing drugs on people, using psychoactive drugs, trying to screw with their minds, basically, in in terrible ways to try to make them either better psychics or try to sort of spin them out of control, like basically what the human mind can, can carry. Uh, they they caused irreparable physical and psychological harm, all on the whim that they thought the Soviets might be doing something similar. And so I think where you have these secret organizations getting all of that power, preying on the weak, it's like a it's like a terrible recipe of complete and extreme power coupled by paranoia. Because what Section Thirty One represents for me, just like MK Ultra within the CIA, represents that even though we have these high-minded ideals, even though we have the Federation Charter, right? It's something that's so amazing and so inclusive. We still have to justify deplorable and depraved acts to keep that good thing going. And that for me is is probably one of the most shameful things, that your your fear and paranoia coupled with absolute power gives you the feeling, the entitlement that you can act outside of the laws of the wonderful body that you are a part of. And that brings back sort of that body idea that the healthy body it would be like someone in, in very good shape, they eat very well, they are active enough, you know, they, they're, they're mentally, physically, socially happy. 
but they justify smoking. Right. It's it's surprising that even justification like that somehow is ingrained into our mentality. It's not one person. It's not two people. We see millions of people doing this. And and they give us a reason that has some kind of a human connection, just like I'm sure Section 31 did at its time of existence. They said our survival might depend on this. We need this parasite. We need this leech sucking off the the blood of information from different planets, different societies, because you don't just see that it's Section 31. You see things like this in the Obsidian Order. You see it in the Tal Shiar. I would argue that the entire Dominion force, the founders themselves are walking, talking secret agents because they could be anyone at any time. There is that social need there is that social picture that is woven around, hey, this government needs an organization like this to exist. And there is certainly a connection. There is certainly communication in a very weird way between these organizations, because in Interarma, you'll see that when Bashir is caught, he's let go because the agency that is the, the Romulans that are who are questioning him, they have additional intelligence that essentially get Sloan caught. They they have they have intelligence they have counterintelligence that that leads to the execution of of the of the dupe Sloan that's there. And you see that it's not just Section 31 that's doing this. There is there is a secret layer that is of events that is happening that we as the audience and the that the folks at Starfleet just do not even know or can understand. You're you're absolutely right, and and it's that that deep seated underbelly that that is so depressing actually to me because you know you'd mentioned, of course you know the Romulan Empire has the Tal Shiar, the Cardassian Union has the Obsidian Order, right? But they're the bad guys, and I you know I mean obviously there are shades of gray there, and you learn so much more about the Cardassians in Deep Space Nine, and you learn so much more about the Romulans throughout the entirety of Star Trek that no they're not just the bad guys, but they're empires. They're they're hegemonic, right? Whereas the Federation is not supposed to be that. The Federation is supposed to be democratic, egalitarian, right? It's a fellowship of planets all working together. So when, like with the Nazis, if someone said the Nazis have a secret police, people would go, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. Whereas if someone was to say, you know, a free country like my own, like Canada, has a secret police, people would be like, what? And we do. Do you know the name of that secret police service or that secret agency, Mr. Avaru? Uh, I do, but I I will let you do the honors. CSIS. Yeah. And I, I forget what the acronym means exactly. But yes, Canada itself has a, a, a intelligence gathering group. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call them, I guess, a secret police, mainly because if you hear the door suddenly blast open and I disappear and then I suddenly seem really, really happy, warn the people. But... What I'm basically saying is, is yeah, I mean, for the Federation to have this clandestine organization and the fact that, you know, with what Sloan says, there is a complicit element within that, that is, for me, very depressing. And it's sad. And obviously, I don't think Gene Roddenberry would have been terribly impressed with that. Now, I'm happy with what what Section 31 did, especially through Deep Space Nine, the retconning they did throughout Enterprise, and even some some allusions to it that are taking place during Discovery. But yeah, I would say overall, it's a uh, it's not it's not my favorite way, but it definitely adds some intrigue. Yeah, there, there was a 
there was a fascinating time, right? And it seems so long ago, right? When we had the whole Edward Snowden situation and we found out that the United States was essentially surveying the entire world without their permission. And I'm sure organizations like the CIA, FBI, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, these these organizations, there is some, there are people in some rooms that might have sat down and justified their existence. And speaking of the CIA, there is one story that I, that I wanted to, it's, it's not, I think story is the wrong word. I, it's fact that I wanted to share with you that's a little more recent. And it happened 60 years after the Gestapo. This happened in 1993 when H.W. Bush had gone to visit Iraq. But during this visit, a year after President Clinton had been sworn in, during this visit, there was an assassination attempt on George H.W. Bush. He narrowly escaped it. He was brought back to safety. And subsequent intelligence revealed that this was being done by Saddam Hussein's secret intelligence service. It was the Iraqi intelligence service that was behind this assassination attempt. So President Clinton goes full United States. He just declares a storm of missiles to be thrown down into the country. And there is an immediate response of violence from the country that the world sees and acknowledges, yes, this is happening in direct response to the H.W. Bush assassination attempt. But years later, what we found out through declassified files and uh, evidence from people who were involved in this is that after that, shortly after that missile launch, CIA planned a military coup d'etat. They recruited a group of people within Saddam Saddam Hussein's secret trust service within his highest circle of power. And they were a hair length away from the military coup d'etat, except the IIS had actually found out about this. So the, the IIS got to them just in the nick of time and the coup was thrown away. And a, con- a phone call was made from the communication lines established between the CIA and these these spies that were inside Saddam Circle and a United States CIA operative is said to have lifted up the phone call when it was made. And the person on the other line said, your men are dead, pack up and go home. So you see, there is this intelligence counterintelligence. There is this chess move being made between these two real world organizations that is essentially part of the the, the illegality and the inherent evil of these organizations. And we are paying for, for these things not only with our money and our taxes and our time and our energy and our safety, essentially, but we are also paying them in human lives, much like you find out when the, the dupe Sloan is killed at the end of inter, Interim Arma, where, where you see, wait, this is real. There are there are people being, being killed because this organization made a mistake. And that fascinates me so deeply is the fact that these horrible parasites are actually getting very – have gotten close – in our history to succeeding in their evil actions. Well, yeah, I mean, you can even go back <clears throat> to Enterprise, I guess, ahead to Enterprise, depending if you're going by the the television series timeline versus the actual Trek timeline. You're hurting my head with the timelines. <laughs> oh, I, I have a feeling it's going to get more complicated on January <laughs> the 7th. But, you know, with, with Malcolm Reed, you know, he's very much brought into that conundrum of, well, the bad guys play this kind of game. So we have to play this kind of game. So there. And it's that kind of idea of justification for these sorts of things. And and yeah, that the likening it to chess, I think is, is interesting, because when we look at it as a game, losing pawns is part of the game. 
but also mm-hmm. bringing up that idea that no, those are people. Those aren't pawns. Those are just actually people yep. who had lives, who, you know, laughed one time and made milk come out of their nose and had a really good birthday party one time. And maybe they saw a bird that they thought was cool. All of these sorts of things have happened. And now they're dead. Now they have been hurt. Now they have been taken outside of who they once were. And that's that's really the that's the takeaway for me with extreme measures and Sloan is, wow, I would really like to have known nice guy Sloan because he seemed like a really cool guy. It would just be neat to have him, I don't know, cavorting with, with Quark or ha- getting into a conversation with, with Worf or something. His knowledge, I'm sure, of Klingon culture would have made Worf giddy. And, and, and now he's just so so dark and so evil and what he feels he has to justify to be to be the protector of starfleet it's uh, yeah it, it's saddening and despite all that i'm assuming those of those of the listeners that we have on this podcast are adults or well on their way to adulthood we understand that part of life are dark secrets like this part of life are actions like this these unintentional hesitatingly evil things that we end up having to do, even though we don't want to do for the great definition in the sky of the greater good. So with that in mind, and we would love to hear the listeners' thoughts on this too, but firstly, I'd start off with Barry. Barry, what do you think? Did the United Federation of Planets need a Section 31? Absolutely not. The big piece of this is... The Federation stands for ideals that I think bring us together as Star Trek fans, as a Star Trek family. If I see, you know, when when I went to Star Trek Las Vegas this year for the first time, I met so many wonderful people, so many accepting people, and it had such an effect on me that I am now doing a podcast on Star Trek. And I guess maybe this could make me seem like a bit of an idealist, and we have to look at the material aspects of of what running a large intergalactic or you know multi or interstellar i guess not intergalactic interstellar community means, and that also works with a large country, say like the United States that is one of the largest countries in the world, and it has enemies, and it has these problems, that of course, it must justify having these larger, quieter elements within it that can do some of the dirty work and do some of the bad things. I guess what I would say is, I would go back to that quote more than anything, that ideology is a poor substitute for kindness and decency. And I guess what that means sometimes, and this is the big fear is, well, I guess you're going to have to take it on the chin from time to time, because there are going to be people who are going to stab you in the back. There are going to be people who are going to try to play the game, and they're going to try to play the system. And what's our recourse? How do we punish that? And I guess being a, a high school administrator, I deal with this on a daily basis, where I try to uphold a certain ideal. And yeah, sometimes there are members of my school community who break away from that. How do I respond to it? I've been pushing myself to respond in a much more compassionate, caring way, showing them that they are still a part of this community and they can remain. They can also leave if they want. More than anything, secret agencies around the world represent paranoia. They represent fear. They represent all of the things, all of the hypocrisy that underlies authority. And 
with that, especially with groups like the Federation, you have to understand that the Federation exists in spite of all of the evils and all of the terrible things. The Romulan Empire, the Cardassian Union, the Dominion, the Nazi Germany, all of these countries, former and present and fictitious, represent the antithesis of the Federation. So therefore, what the Federation represents is the light. It represents the good. It represents the hope. And if you are hopeful and you want something to work in a positive and good way, if you taint it with bad, that's going to remain on your conscience. And if we take what we're going to look at more next episode with the Pale Moonlight and Cisco, yeah, he had to go there. But it doesn't mean we all have to. And it doesn't mean we should. And maybe sometimes it's a losing battle. But there's a lot of material things that have occurred in the past that might have actually helped change that. Doing things in war versus doing things in peace, sometimes you've got to do worse things, right? Within the, within the war, everything outside of it may be nothing. Cisco had to do some bad things, and he had to justify it the way he did. He was at war, and he was in an impossible scenario. I don't know how to act as a person who's running a, an entire country, but the whole omelet breaking a few eggs kind of idea does sort of bother me. Maybe it's because I don't have to make those choices. But if I go back to running a school, I can't break any of those eggs. And what I'm helping develop is citizens. And if those little young citizens, even though they're 16 years old, they're still little and, and tiny to me, they have to see me at a certain level. They have to see me not breaking those rules, not flaunting my power in any way, shape, or form, because I want them to see that you can actually get good things done and good things can happen if you set that positive example. And so Section 31 definitely is a non-necessity to the Federation for me. I'm glad that you have a strong viewpoint on this. And I am glad that your your viewpoint is rational, logical, well-founded, and it is based on idealism. But I'm even more glad that it actually the argument itself also is very idealistic. I'll start with a very simple metaphor. If I live in a in a house that shares its neighborhood with another one and I have a kind neighbor who is friendly on the surface, he she talks well, she's a nice person, she has made me Thanksgiving pie. It's it's all great. I, I like her a lot. But one day, if I just happen to be walking around my house and I peek out my window, and I see through her window that on all her walls are weapons lined up, guns, bombs, grenades, Kevlar, armor, things that would alarm any regular human being. And as soon as she sees me, she closes her curtains. But another day, another mistake happens, and I end up seeing that she's locking her weapons. She's shooting in her backyard. And one day I find out that there has been a scream in the in in her house. These things will not just alarm me, they'll also prepare me for imminent action that I need to take, not just for my safety, but for the safety of my neighborhood. It, it's because I've seen through this person's window. It's because I've seen through, uh, because I've had an insight into this person's life and I've seen what goes on in their house, even though technically that might have been illegal, even though me peeking through might have been illegal today because I call 911 and I get this person arrested who was 10 minutes away from burning my entire neighborhood down. 
I have protected the lives of everybody in my neighborhood. And so if you just take that simple metaphor of two neighbors and you apply it to nations around the world, I, even though it is with a heavy heart, I have to say that organizations like Section 31 should exist, not just because it keeps Starfleet safe, it keeps Starfleet one step ahead of the game, it keeps Starfleet informed at the cost of lives where peace is and how do we get to that peace and how do we how do we keep ourselves safe and strong in a in a dangerous galaxy in a dangerous universe it also keeps the rest of us safe it keeps the the folks that do not agree with starfleet safe the fact that they know that there might be watchful eyes on them stops them a little in their tracks they the fact that they might suspect that there might be an outsider in their secret circle there might be an outsider in Talshia, there might be an outsider in the Obsidian Order, a founder might have been genetically modified from a Starfleet officer's body. The fact that these possibilities and these realities exist within that universe kept this the United Federation of Planets safe, kept the Alliance strong to a certain extent. They gave us an advantage in this in this big war that ended up happening. And very similar to that, even though there are disagreements that I have with the way some of the secret agencies around our world work, be it the surveillance of FBI and CIA that recorded phone calls from around the world, be it the surveillance of the Canadian Secret Intelligence Service, be be, be it the ISI, Pakistan's intelligence service, or RAW, India's intelligence service, I know because I have read stories and missions that the agents within these organizations carry out that stop giant attacks from happening. FBI and CIA have come out time and time again and said that, hey, I know you disagree, but we were able to stop X number of terrorist attacks this year because we we were able to be a part of a surveillance operation. We got to infringe upon one person's privacy. We got to disturb the life of a few people. But that that ended up with us saving the lives of hundreds of millions. That ended up with keeping the safety of billions of people. And I think it is because the reality we live in is that dark, is that we need organizations like these. We might not disagree with them. We might not invite them to our birthday parties. We might not make them a part of our daily thanks that we give to this universe. But if they weren't out there doing the evils that they were, whatever safety we enjoy today would definitely not have been possible. And I'll just end with the ideology that Starfleet has, according to Barry, which says Starfleet is supposed to be the light. If Starfleet was supposed to be the light, if Starfleet was supposed to be brave, every time they set out on a mission, they would not check their shields. Every time they set out on a mission, they would not check their weapons to see if phasers are ready to fire. These are things that are necessary for that ship to go out and do the good that we are following it and we are hoping it will do. But I will say, does Starfleet have cloaking devices? No, you don't know. You never knew Starfleet had Section 31, but it did. 
I suppose, but you know, the the Treaty of Algeron says that they don't. And I, I want to make a quick distinction: intelligence and a sort of secret police is where I would make my distinction. I've uh, I actually have a friend who was in Canadian intelligence during the the operations within Afghanistan. Now he didn't go in pretending to be necessarily somebody else, but he definitely collected reconnaissance and was able to you know locate important people and whatnot during a time of war or during a conflict where something needed to be resolved. I do believe that that collecting intelligence is important. I do that as well as a, a school administrator. Um, where I hold the line is Section 31 is willing to very flagrantly throw away the ideals that make the Federation what it is in order to protect it. And that's where I'm saying I'm fervently against it. But as Section 31 states it, and as we have come to understand, and as one of the titles suggests, when it's a time of war, the law falls silent. So I think when we start with intelligence, we're just a few steps away from the things that Section 31 does. And we would be lying to ourselves if we didn't think that these organizations that go out and conduct secret missions and conduct intelligence also do not end up causing injuries and causing deaths. So uh, I understand that there are distinctions that you disagree with. And these are actions that I do not dis- do not agree with as well. I hope everybody outside understands that. But I do know just from my understanding of world history that things have gone a certain way and the world, even with all its flaws, has this closest thing to stability because some of these evil, heinous actions were done by people with good intentions. Indeed, good intentions, and we know where certain paths can lead with that. I am going to rest my case at this point for the sake of time, but let's keep this conversation going, as Shashank said. Shashank, where can we find our uh, friends on uh, on the interwebs these days? Just a quick re- recap. Absolutely. You can find us on at Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S on Twitter, and you can find us on Polytrex. On Facebook, you'll see our logo uh, we have actually gone full spy for now. So if you see it, you'll probably see a false color image of both uh, Barry and I as our display pictures. But please reach out. Please tell us what you think. I'm sure there are people that will disagree with either me or Barry. And that's a good thing. As long as our conversations are civil and you have a legitimate point of view that is not based on, oh, you, I want to be angry on the Internet. We would love to talk to you. Thank you for listening to us. Yes, thank you so much for listening. It does mean the galaxy to us. And if you're looking for more great Trek discussion, there's always more shows available on the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network. And if you really like what you hear, consider supporting us on Patreon. And if you're looking for more wonderful Trek podcasts out on the ever-infinite interwebs, we would recommend checking out the Trek Geeks. You will not be disappointed. So from there, we'll say goodbye for Episode 4, and we look forward to seeing you on Episode 5, which is the third part of our Spies and Society series, where we will be coming to our conclusion with final thoughts. So with that, we hope that you all live long and prosper. And onward to Star Society. Star Society.